Nats Chat is brought to you by Walters. Make sure that you check out Walters' self-pour beer wool. Included on tap is Baby Shark IPA, Sunny Little Thing, Grapefruit Nectar, and more. Walk on over to Walters for Game 6 of the NBA Finals. Tip at 9 p.m. this Thursday night. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Outfield a touch toward left and deep. Here's the set and Tatro's payoff pitch. Swing and a miss. Struck him out on the fastball. And that's the way the major league career for right-hander Jackson Tatro gets started. Now the 0-1. Ozuna hits one at deep left field. Forget about it. And for the second night in a row, the Braves go back-to-back. That one off the back wall of the Atlanta bullpen. Ozuna number 12. 6-0 Atlanta. And eight homers in a game and a half in this series. Machado the set, he deals. And a swing and a blast to left center field. Sending Robles back. Looking up, and it is gone. An opposite field home run for the rookie Michael Harris II. His second big league home run. And both have come this series. And the Braves go back-to-back for the second time tonight and the third time in the series. It's now 9-3. And welcome to Nats Chat for Wednesday, June 15th, 2022, along with MassInSports.com Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman, who was at Nationals Park. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, the cliche phrase in college basketball for years has been survive and advance. For the Nationals right now, it's merely about survival because there ain't no advancing, not against the team that the Nats are currently playing at Nationals Park. The Nats on Tuesday night got bludgeoned again by the surging Atlanta Braves. 10-4 was the final. This off the 9-5 loss on Monday night. So the Nats over the first two games of this series outscored 19-9. Nats now 23-41 on the season. The Braves now have won 13 consecutive games. But it's not just the results of these last two games. It's what is going on with the Nats right now. They, of course, are a rebuilding team. They're not a very good team to begin with. And the Nats right now are taking on water big time with their pitching situation. We have seen that here over these last few games. We certainly saw that on Tuesday night. We had like a mile-long list of transactions on Tuesday afternoon. Uh, Mark, you know, I think we all kind of feared that there would be stretches like this for the Nats this season. And boy, the Nats right now are in a real rough patch, not just in terms of game results, but in terms of what's happening, especially with their pitching. 
This is really kind of worst case scenario, the last, I'd say, three days, Al. I mean, we knew this was going to be a difficult week from the outset because of who they had to face and just the general state of things. And that's before Steven Strasburg was scratched and placed on the IL and before Josiah Gray was scratched because of the rain delay. When you add that to it and look at who they've put on the mound, I mean, can just think of it this way. The last three games, they're all losses, have been started by Paolo Espino, Erasmo Ramirez, and Jackson Tatro. Those are three guys who were not starting games, you know, a week ago for Nationals. Those were their first starts, all of them, first starts of the season for the Nats. It's just not a position you want to be in. And frankly, it wasn't fair to any of them. I guess in Paolo's case, you know, no big deal. He's used to that kind of thing. But for the last two guys, they're put in, in a very difficult position. I'm not trying to excuse their performances because they weren't good. But at a time when like their best hope of surviving these games was to just get something of a quality pitching performance, keep yourself in the game, give your lineup a chance. They haven't done that. They've fallen into big holes two straight nights. And what do you really expect of them to do coming out of that? So it's just, it really is about a worst case scenario. And, and this might have been the low point here on Tuesday. You had seven of the nine innings that were pitched in this game were by the three guys they called up from Rochester today. I don't think I've ever seen that before. The majority of the game pitched by guys who were just promoted today. And the other two innings were by Andres Machado, who basically has been back and forth between Rochester and DC all year. It's just, you can't survive that way. It just doesn't work. I don't care who you're playing, let alone a team as red hot as the Braves. Well, and that's the thing. You're facing the hottest team in the majors. You're facing the reigning defending World Series champions. It's just, you know, a confluence of circumstances that make you just shake your head like you have no shot. And the Nats have had no shot these last few games. I mean, it, it really does stand out with so many of these promotions this season for the Nats from AAA Rochester. It's not about rewarding people who are doing well. It's just about finding bodies, finding available bodies. I mean, you see this kid who made his major league debut on Tuesday night, Jackson Tatro. He has an ERA over four for Rochester this season. He's not some prospect, you know. He's he's just he's a guy in the minors who who's who's a body who the Nats summoned because they needed someone to make a start against Atlanta on Tuesday night. Like that's kind of where you're at, you know. These relievers who the Nats called up from AAA Rochester on uh, Tuesday afternoon, you know, going with uh, Reed Garrett, bringing back Francisco Perez. Like, they're just bodies. They're arms, you know, just like the guy who the Nats sent back down to Rochester, Jordan Weems. He's an arm. He's a body. That's all it is. And, you know, you just see this. It's like, it's you know, the, the cliche shuffling deck chairs on the Titanic. That's what it feels, that's what it feels like because there's, there's, no, there's no purpose to it other than just to play out the schedule. And, you know, you see this in baseball because there are so many games that for bad teams, it can become just about playing out the schedule and crossing off dates. And you feel like right now with the Nats, they're just trying to find a way to make it through this week. That's really what this is about right now. Yeah, no, 100%. And, and it's a shame that that's the situation. And, you know, think of it could have been a very different dynamic if we're talking about Josiah Gray facing the Braves one night and Steven Strasburg facing them. The next, like there was some juice there. There was some interest and in, hey, let's see how these guys stack up against Atlanta. And instead, it's just, okay, well, we don't have the guys we wanted to pitch and we don't even have our top backup options available to us because none of them were on the proper schedule. So who's out there who is capable of throwing multiple innings for us on this given day? And that's who they are going with. And don't be surprised if there's more moves in the next day or two as they keep churning this over before they get to a point that they're actually 
you know, have a, a full pitching staff capable of uh, throwing on any given day. It's just, it's a nightmare scenario that no manager, no GM ever wants to be in. You know, it speaks to the organizational depth or lack of it. Sure. But I mean, we're, we're talking about going so far down the depth chart here. It's not like this is a, a huge indictment of it because if they could have, they would have called up somebody else. They just were not ready at the right time, I think, to do it. Yeah. And, you know, what happened on Monday night really was just bad luck. This unexpected rain, Josiah Gray has warmed up and, you know, he couldn't pitch on Tuesday night. And, you know, we're not exactly sure right now when he'll next pitch. The Nats schedule finally is going to lighten up next week. The Nats will have an off day on Monday, then an off day on Thursday. So at least next week, finally, the Nats can breathe a little bit. They have had so few scheduled off days so far this year. I know that's true for a lot of teams, so I'm not trying to say the Nats have gotten screwed by Rob Manfred or anything like that. But geez, you you can get a chance to exhale next week, but you got to make it through this series with Atlanta, which you may not make it through. And then you got Philadelphia coming to town, and who knows what's going to happen then, because the Phillies right now are pounding teams, and that Philly series will be five games over the course of four days. You know, there's something else, too, and I was thinking about this, and, you know, among the many transactions the Nats made on Tuesday afternoon was placing Steven Strasburg on the 15-day injured list, retroactive to June 11th with a stress reaction of the ribs. But, you know, when you're having to dance this dance with a guy in Strasburg who you want to see come back, but you certainly can't count on coming back, you make yourself prone to having a mess like this to where if he can't start or he, he one of his starts gets cut short, you got to go to your bullpen and that throws everything off. And that's part of this too here is that you know, a guy who you thought you were adding to your rotation all of a sudden is back out and you're you're left to scramble. And that, that's like kind of the the domino effect of having someone like that who very uh, delicate in terms of his comeback and you can't count on him. And it's not just him. It's the impact that that has on the rest of your pitching staff. Sure. And I mean, think back only a few weeks ago, they were making plans and hoping to have a rotation that included Steven Strasburg and Joe Ross. And neither one of those obviously has happened. We know Ross isn't coming back this year. We don't know yet what's going to happen uh, with Strasburg. And, you know, <laughs> think about even like a, a Josh Rogers, not that he's a great alternative, but he has started games for them. He's not available right now. He's hurt. Anibal Sanchez, who should be the ultimate just, hey, give us a start and give us five innings. He hasn't been able to pitch for them this year. I mean, they are on fumes right now and taking whoever they can get, you know, you do wonder, there's probably a different scenario here in which Josiah Gray could have somehow pitched either Monday or Tuesday. I don't think it would have been outrageous to do that. But they're also trying not to lose sight of the bigger picture here. And Josiah Gray, especially now, is vital to their long-term chances. They're not going to take any chances with him and put him out there until they're sure that everything is fine. And so they're going to sacrifice games like this. That's really what they did. They sacrificed a couple of games because of all that. We may see him on Friday, it sounds like, in the doubleheader, um, but we don't know that for sure. It, it It's not good, of course. And you do have to build up as much pitching inventory as you can to get through these things. But like you said, especially when you're counting on people who you know you can't really count on, you're hoped for, but you can't count on, it just leaves you in this untenable situation. And I, I just worry it's going to keep getting worse. I mean, Eric Fetty goes on on Wednesday. He has to give him six quality innings. There's just no way about it. They they have to do that, use a couple of relievers, and then get through to Thursday. And then I think Corbin pitches that day and hope he gives you six quality innings. 
you know, this is what it's come to. You're asking Eric Fetty and Patrick Corbin to save the pitching staff for the week against two of the hottest lineups in baseball. Yeah. As uh, Jerry said to George when George revealed to Jerry all of George's deepest, darkest secrets, <laughs> good luck with all that. Yikes. <laughs> well, good luck with all that. So Jackson Tatro, he was the Nats starting pitcher on Tuesday night. Who, what? Yeah, exactly. Uh, the Nats on Tuesday afternoon selected the contract of Tatro from AAA Rochester. Uh, the Nats took Jackson Tatro in the seventh round of the 2017 MLB draft out of State College of Florida. Like I said, ERA over four this season for Rochester, 12 starts, 419 ERA, age 26 season. He's not some prize prospect, but he's making his major league debut on Tuesday night. He's facing the surging Atlanta Braves, and the result, surprisingly, was not good. Seven runs in four innings. He gave up nine hits, three home runs, a double, and five singles. Issued a walk, recorded two strikeouts. He threw 91 pitches over his four innings. We, in a five-run Braves third, saw Tatro give up two homers, a double, two singles, and a walk. And then came the bullpen guys. And like Mark said, the Nats ended up pitching two guys out of the three relievers who were used on Tuesday night by the Nats, who had just been called up from AAA Rochester. Uh, The Nats on Tuesday afternoon brought up Reed Garrett and Francisco Perez from Rochester, optioned Jordan Weems to Rochester. We saw Andres Machado on Tuesday night give up two runs in two innings. We then saw Reed Garrett, two scoreless innings in his Nats major league debut. And then we saw Francisco Perez give up a run in the top of the ninth. This is a this is a far cry from the days of Max Scherzer and Steven Strasburg and Gio Gonzalez and Jordan Zimmerman and Doug Fister when he was good and Tanner Rourke and all these guys. I mean, these names, Tatro, Machado, Garrett, Perez, like how did we get to this point, Mark? It wasn't that long ago that we would have laughed at a pitching lineup like this one. It's pretty crazy. I mean, you take a step back and consider these are the Washington Nationals, and this is who is starting for them pitching games. you got a guy wearing number 72 making his major league debut. I will say this about Jackson Tatro, though. Starts off the game striking out Ronald Acuna on a 97-mile-an-hour fastball, then immediately gave up a home run to Dansby Swanson, okay. But he struck out Acuna again in the third, and then he retired the last three batters he faced. There was some stuff there. He threw the ball pretty hard. Now, maybe he was throwing it too hard, and he was kind of all over the place, and the pitch count was sky high. He threw 25 pitches to four batters in the first inning, Uh, and when he didn't locate, he was hit hard. But, you know, there was just a little glimmer of something in there that made you say, okay, if he could ever figure this all out and harness it, maybe they might have something. But I felt for the kid. I mean, he, he was really excited to be here. He had a lot of family here for it. You know, he's not a young guy. He's 26, like you said, making his major league debut as a seventh round pick. You don't know for sure if it's ever going to happen like that. So it was a big moment for him. I know to get that first strikeout to the first batter and have a big name like that meant something to him. But he was really thrown into a very difficult situation, not just starting the game, but the fact that they had to leave him in. You know, as that third innings playing out, I'm thinking, like, you, how long are you going to go on with this? And there was nobody warming in the bullpen because they simply couldn't afford to do it. And he ends up getting through the third inning on 76 pitches. To his credit, came back and retired the side in the fourth to get to 91. But there still was nobody warming in the bullpen. He was just going to have to go until he threw at least 90 pitches. Didn't matter what the result was. And that's a very unfortunate position to have to put a guy in. 
It is. And, you know, you remind yourself, I mean, we're only in June, okay? And as odd as this is going to sound, the Nats have actually enjoyed remarkable health in their rotation so far this year. What's happening here right now is a function of some weird things and a guy in Strasburg who failed to come back. But if you look at Nats starting pitchers, you're not talking about a bunch of guys who've succumbed to injury so far this year. What's going to happen if, say, an Eric Fetty gets hurt or a Josiah Gray gets hurt or a Patrick Corbin gets hurt or whoever gets hurt? Then what? You know, like now at least you could say for all the Nats problems, they've actually done a pretty good job of keeping starting pitchers healthy so far this year. That's not going to last. Guys are going to get hurt. I mean, that's inevitable over the course of the 162. What's going to happen then? You shiver at the thought. The Braves have hit five home runs in each of the first two games of this series. I mean, the Braves are just a machine right now. There's no doubt about that. They've hit back-to-back homers three different times in the series. (laughs) When's the last time you saw that? That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. So, yeah, 13 straight wins for Atlanta, and the Nats are uh, 18 games below 500. You know, it's funny. We've been talking here for a while about this game. We haven't even mentioned Juan Soto didn't even play on Tuesday night. It just goes to show you the Nats have so many problems right now. Their best hitter doesn't play. And we're like, oh, yeah, that's true. And he didn't play. So right knee contusion is the diagnosis of uh, what happened in the dugout here on Monday night with him slipping and what banging his knee against the the bench in the dugout. So he doesn't even start on Tuesday night. So you say to yourself, all right, Juan Soto's out. This is where we need our other two big sluggers, Nelson Cruz and Josh Bell, to come through. Nelson Cruz was in the three spot on Tuesday night. Bell was in the four spot. You say, all right, we can lean on our two horses here a little more with Juan Soto out. Yeah, uh, Cruz and Bell combined 0 for 8 with three strikeouts. The Braves hit five home runs and Cruz and Bell went 0 for 8. The only Nat who had a multi-hit game on Tuesday night, A. Ray Adrianza. And if that doesn't if that doesn't sum up the Nats night in a nutshell, I don't know what does. Well, here's another one to sum it up. Their first five batters all struck out against Max Freed. So you had that going too. I mean, I don't know even know what to, to say. It was not good. I mean, you know, they they manufactured, they got three runs in the third. They get three straight batters reach base and they all score none of them via a hit. It was a ground out a wild pitch and a sacrifice fly. You had a a nice two-out RBI single from Luis Garcia in the sixth inning. There you go. That's something. Riley Adams was on base a couple of times. There you go. That's something. Victor Robles swung away with two on and nobody out and got a hit. Amazing how that can happen sometimes. No, just not good. And, And obviously, even though he hasn't been himself so far this season, you take Soto out of the lineup, it does change a lot of the complexion of all this. Now, the hope is that he's good to go on Wednesday, but he's, I think, still kind of sore. I don't think this is a nothing injury. Uh, It is something. And this was his first day off all year long. You hope that that's all that it was, but I'm not writing his name into Wednesday's lineup card in ink yet, maybe in pencil, not in ink. Yeah, you know, it makes you wonder about him playing the field in the top of the ninth, as he did on Monday night, you know, because he suffered that injury eighth inning going into the ninth, and then he's out there in the ninth, and there's uh, footage that sort of went viral in the hours after the game of him kind of limping around in the outfield, and you're like, why Why was that chance even taken? Putting, you know, supposing he had to run t- toward the warning track on a deep fly ball or chase a ball in the corner. I mean, who knows what could have happened with that knee? So, feels that feels like a, a risk that, uh, you know, wasn't worth taking there. So, yeah, rough night uh, for the Nats on Tuesday night. 
Hey guys, it's Al Galdi for Window Nation. It feels like everything is going up these days, including home prices. And so there's no better time to have the look of your home go up and the value of your home go up with new windows from Window Nation. Get two free windows with every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. Take advantage of this offer. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. Window Nation windows are the best. The average Window Nation installer has over 16 years of experience with over 20,000 windows installed. Window Nation offers 1,500 custom window combinations, including vinyl, wood, and fiberglass. Window Nation is the best. Call 866-90NATION or visit windownation.com and make sure that you ask for the deal that you heard about from Al Galdi. Two free windows for every two windows that you buy, plus pay nothing for two full years. 866-90NATION or windownation.com. That's 866-90NATION or windownation.com. And make sure that you tell Window Nation that Al Galdi sent you. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Steven has a, uh, a stress reaction in his second and third rib. Like I've said before, there's so many unknowns about this surgery and what could happen, and this is part of it. So it, it is related. You know, we're at a point now where, you know, honestly, Steven's put all the work in. He's done everything 
that he needed to do. And it's just this surgery that you don't know where it's going to go. I mean, I've seen a lot of guys go through this and, and, and not come out of it good right away. I've seen guys come out of it where they, you know, they're able to pitch for many years. So, so we're just going to have to wait. There's no timeline right now for Steven. He's going to go see another specialist, and then we'll know more. We mentioned the many roster moves by the Nats on Tuesday afternoon. We're not going to go through these transaction by transaction, but the big one is the placing of Steven Strasburg uh, on the 15-day injured list. It it, it is confusing. You have a 10-day injured list, a 15-day injured list, and a 60-day injured list. The 15-day injured list is, so there's only certain guys who can go on it. Pitchers are among them. Strasburg is on that. So stress reaction of the ribs. Just to be clear, this is related to the thoracic outlet syndrome, correct? That is the belief, yes. So based on what we know about this, okay, it's the second and third rib, so it's pretty high up, you know, almost under your armpit near the shoulder. It's exactly the area that he was having so much trouble with last year and the year before. Now, a stress reaction, you've heard of a stress fracture. This is like the step before that. So the good news is you catch it kind of early and it's before the point that you have a stress fracture. So maybe that's a good thing. But this is a repetitive use injury. This isn't like, oh, something happened on one pitch or there was some trauma, something that uh, caused it to happen. It happens when you keep doing the same motion over and over and over, like throwing a baseball. Now, by all counts, he still was feeling great all the way through Thursday's start in Miami, had not experienced any of this, and it wasn't until he got to the bullpen on Saturday that he noted that something wasn't right. Now, my guess would be that this had been building over some period of time throughout his rehab, but he just didn't feel it or didn't notice it. And it finally became enough that he felt it on Saturday. As far as what they do from here, they're not entirely sure. He's going to get another opinion out in LA from Dr. Neil Elatrosh. He is a very noted orthopedic surgeon. He just performed Joe Ross's Tommy John last week. I'm not saying he's going there to get surgery, but he's going to at least look at this and try to come up with a plan. It would sound like, best case scenario, it's just rest. As with any kind of bone bruise, slight fracture, stress fracture, all you can really do is just kind of wait for it to heal on its own, then start things up again and see how it goes. But you did hear from Davey Martinez before the games, he's talking about all this, a certain tone that you don't often hear, where he's talking about, hey, I want to believe that he's going to come back and pitch for us. I hope that he can still be an effective pitcher for us. It was not a, okay, we'll get through this and we'll get him back as soon as possible. So there's at least an understanding. And it's all based in, as we talked about since last July, you have that surgery, you don't know for sure how you're going to come out of it, if you're ever going to be the same again. So there is an acknowledgement on the organization's part that they don't know for sure how he's all going to come out of this. It's obviously disappointing to everybody, but at the moment, it's hard to know exactly what it's going to mean other than we're going to have to wait a little while and find out. He has four years left on the seven-year, $245 million contract. I don't see at this point how anyone believes he's going to pitch over those four years. I think there's going to be an end here sometime in the next few years, and maybe sooner rather than later. We'll see. And I don't like saying that, but you're not going to dance this dance each of the next four years. So at some point, there's going to be a decision made by someone of, all right, we're done, or you try to negotiate some kind of a buyout or something, especially if you have new ownership coming in. You know, I wonder if new ownership might try to figure something out. Maybe even a contingency of buying the Nats is, hey, uh, learners, 
you got to do something with the Strasburg contract because we're not inheriting that. You know, I, I'm not sure, but it's very difficult to see this contract being fulfilled entirely. That something is going, something's got to give because you can't keep having this every year where you build him up and then something else comes up and then he doesn't pitch. This is now a third consecutive season that may well be a lost season. How many more lost seasons are you going to end up stomaching here? Well, unfortunately, it's not really the Nationals' decision, any of this. It's really Strasburg. It's a guaranteed contract. And if he believes that he can keep trying to rehab and coming back and make another attempt at it, and I have every reason to believe at the moment that, yes, that is what he wants to do, then he has the right to continue doing that. Short of the team eating the salary and you know saying they're going to release him or something like that, and I don't believe they're anywhere down that path at this point. There's not a whole lot else to do. And even if they did that, they owe him the money regardless. So unless there's two scenarios that in which the Nationals don't have to pay out the remainder of the contract, one would be is if he chose to retire at some point. And again, I don't think we're there. Not to say we can't get there and that it may not ultimately get there. At this point, I don't think we're there based on what I seem to gather. The other scenario, and I don't know the answer to this, and a lot of people have asked me this, and I don't have a good answer for it because they're very secretive about it. If his career had to end because of a debilitating physical injury that could not be healed despite their best efforts, and he was forced into retirement because of it, if there is insurance on the contract that would cover some of that. This happened many years ago. I covered the Orioles when I first started. This happened to Albert Bell, who was forced into retirement due to an arthritic hip with several years to go on his contract. They had insurance on it that paid off a sizable portion of it. Generally speaking, I believe teams take out insurance policies on these big mega contracts. It's not worth it on smaller ones because the premiums you're paying, it's you know not worth it. On something like this, a lot of times they would do it, but I don't know for a fact if the Nationals have an insurance policy on Steven Strasburg. Well, we saw what happened with Prince Fielder. I don't know if there was insurance there, but he ended up not fulfilling his contract because of his neck. And what I think could happen with a Strasburg is, you know, you go through this for another year or two. He doesn't want to keep going through this. They don't want to keep paying him. And you arrive at an agreement of, okay, we'll pay you 80% of what's left on the contract. You can retire now. You know, you don't have to work anymore. You get the bulk of what's owed to you, but not everything owed to you. And, you know, the the give back to us is that you only take 80% or something like that. You know, like with Chris Davis in the Orioles, Chris Davis retired with a year left on the contract. They negotiate. We don't know. I don't know exactly what they negotiated. They figured something out, though. So with Strasburg, I just I could to me, that's where this is headed. We're, we can't have four more years of this. OK, for everyone's sake, it's just it's not going to happen. And for his sake, too. I would think at some point, and we're not there yet, like you said, but a year from now, two years from now, I mean, I think that's entirely possible. We'll see. You know, there's also the avenue of maybe they turn him into a reliever. Okay. He'd be the most expensive reliever ever, but that's better than nothing. So maybe that's a path you have to go down. I don't know. It's very hard right now to have the appetite again for let's do it all over again and build them back up and see if next time is the time. Because with each passing time that doesn't work, it becomes less and less likely that there ever will be another time that does work. And, and that's sure. the sad reality about this. Yeah, no, absolutely. You can't just keep you know, telling Lucy to tee up the ball and running up and hoping this time is going to be different, of course. Like we said the other night, this is killing him. You know, This is not at all what he wants. So don't take this to mean that he um, is perfectly content to sit back and collect his paycheck. It's eating him alive 
And knowing him the little bit that I do, it's hard to get to know him as we've talked about. I think he's going to want to, as long as the doctors say he can, he's going to want to try to keep trying to figure out a way to get out there because I think he's embarrassed by this. I think he knows that he has not fulfilled his end of the bargain since the World Series. He knows the position the team is in right now, and he knows that he's a huge reason for that, not just what's going on this year, but in the larger picture. And I think he takes some ownership of that and wants to exhaust every possible avenue he can to come back and make a difference. Now, will it get to a point that they just can't do that? Sure, it's entirely possible. And maybe we're now closer to that point than we ever have been. But I think for now, depending on what the the doctor tells them later this week, there's going to be a desire on his part to try to figure out a way to get back from this. And, and look, it's entirely possible this is a, just as a setback. I know it, like it sounds crazy. Maybe it's it's too far-fetched to believe. But this could have been a lot worse. You know, what they told us could have been a more acute injury, something far more dramatic that would say like, okay, his season is over. Whereas this could be take some rest, let it heal, and then start up again. And in theory, it could be fine. Like we've said, we're not just going to assume that, of course, not at this point. Yeah. And the problem is you don't know what else is going to pop up because it feels like there's always something else that pops up with him. And it's not his fault. It's just the way that his body is, but stuff tends to pop up. And this is the latest thing to pop up. D-Strange Gordon got DFA'd by the Nats on Tuesday afternoon. Any surprise that they actually DFA'd him? So a little bit. And, you know, I was thinking the night before, okay, they're going to have to make some moves. They've got to bring in some fresh arms. Who can they now drop? And I figured Jordan Weems, he had options, would be one of them. I had a feeling Hunter Harvey uh, could be transferred to the 60-day IL. They did make that move. That clears a spot on the 40-man. Then you said, okay, they need to do one more. Well, the only other reliever with options was Andres Machado, who they have sent up and down. I thought maybe they'll do that, but turns out they kept him. And unfortunately, even though he like has hit well and kind of played well and had a somewhat prominent role for them, since A. Ray Adrianza was activated off the IL, I don't think D. Strange Gordon has played at all or very minimally had played. They had an extra player on their bench that they really just were not using. And I think they understood, especially with Luis Garcia playing shortstop every day uh, and Adrianza a much better defensive player and able to play anywhere on the field that there just wasn't a whole lot of value and need to have uh, D-Strange Gordon on your roster. Now, the weird thing is, I think we're five days away, allegedly, from MLB's rule finally going into effect where you're only allowed to carry 13 pitchers and you have to carry an extra bench player. So they're going to have to drop a pitcher at some point here soon. And if this had only happened a few days later, they probably would have kept him out of necessity. And instead, they had to DFA him and they're going to have to call up another position player maybe in five days or so. Now, that's assuming MLB actually follows through a few times already. They've delayed that decision, and maybe they'll do it again. One more item. So the Nats on Tuesday afternoon brought up reliever Reed Garrett from AAA Rochester, brought up reliever Francisco Perez from AAA Rochester. Tyler Clippard is still at Rochester. And if you're wondering, well, he just must be really struggling, right? He just he really must be a mess for Rochester. Uh, no, Tyler Clippard has an ERA of 288. He has 31 strikeouts in 25 innings. He has put some guys on base. The whip is 124. It's a little high for a reliever. Okay, fine. What is going on with Tyler Clippard? This is so strange to me. We are in mid-June. A guy who was supposed to be up by mid-April, late April at the latest, is still languishing at AAA. 
And I thought it was really interesting when Mike Rizzo spoke to you guys a few weeks ago. You asked him about Clippard. He basically talked about him like a player coach. Like, yeah, you know, he's helping young guys at AAA. It was almost like, yeah, he's not a good pitcher anymore, but he rubs off well on young pitchers. It, it felt like Mike isn't really that interested in calling up Tyler Clippard, which, of course, is against what we thought was the whole purpose of signing him to begin with. What is going on with Tyler Clippard? Yeah, I think every move they've made has been very telling about how they must feel about the situation, especially when you're bringing up guys who weren't on the 40-man roster like Reed Garrett. For a while there, you could say, well, are you going to burn up a 40-man spot on Clippard because he's not on it? Well, they've gone ahead and made moves involving 40-man guys, and he still wasn't one of them. And so all I can come away from this with is a, a, a couple of things. One, it seems to me that at the moment, they are more interested in calling up guys who may have some future with the organization beyond this year. Who knows if any of them will or not, but they're at least taking a look at guys who they think could have a future here as opposed to somebody who's a short-term fix for them. The other thing that occurs to me, and whether this is coincidence or just happened to work out this way, Carl Edwards Jr. kind of became the Tyler Clippard guy. <laughs> they called him up uh, at a time when Clippard was not pitching as well down there. And as we've talked about, Edwards has been really good for them. And he's taken on essentially their seventh inning role in a setup role. Maybe they just don't feel like they can afford two roster spots on somebody like that in this kind of similar situation. If the idea with Clippard was you bring him up, he helps you out, maybe you can turn him into a trade ship, you're running out of time for that to happen. It may be too late for that really to be the case. And so they've got their couple guys at the back end of the bullpen. Edwards has done a nice job. Everyone else they're maybe looking at as potential long-term pieces and Clippard just doesn't figure into it. And I suppose he has a contract that would allow him to opt out at some point, but for whatever reason, he seems content there. Maybe he enjoys one last run as a minor league pitcher and sort of coach to the younger guys. And he wants to stick with that for as long as he can. I don't know the answer, but Every move they have made over the last month, certainly, I think is very telling and explains what they must think about. And barring some other major changes of events, I find it hard to believe that we are going to see Tyler Clippert at this point. Yeah. You know, you wonder if maybe they know something we don't. That's always possible. But if they feel like they're running out of time to have him emerge as a trade ship, <laughs> I would say it's your fault that you're running out of time. You've had him here and you just have not called him up. It's it's a very odd deal. We've seen a lot of Austin Voth. We've seen a lot of guys this season who aren't that good, but uh, we have not seen Tyler Clippard called up. So very surprising that that is what has happened. You tell us what you think. Hit us up on Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can email the podcast, NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the Nats Chat Podcast. Subscribing costs you nothing. Make sure that you never miss an episode. Also, if you're listening to this podcast on Apple Podcast or on Spotify, please give the podcast a five-star rating. All Nationals radio highlights on Nats Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. For Mark Zuckerman, I'm Al Galdi, and we'll talk to you next time on the Nats Chat Podcast. Here's the pitch. Swing and a line drive, left center field, base hit over the leaping Swanson. Headed home is Hernandez. Franco will stop at second. It's an RBI single and a five-game hitting streak for Luis Garcia.